The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the securities discussed. For more information, head over to investmart.com.au. Welcome to this edition of Skin in the Game. I'm your host, Nathan Bell, Portfolio Manager at Intelligent Investor. And as always, I'm joined by our small cap portfolio manager, Alex Hughes. Welcome, Alex. Hi, Nathan. Hi, everyone. And a small apology to people who have been wondering where we've been for the past few weeks, but Alex has had a move down to Melbourne, so hopefully the audio is still coming through nice and clear from Victoria, even if the weather's not. Yep, it's a lot colder down here, I can tell you that. <laughs> You're welcome to it for the moment, mate. Uh, first question, uh, we've got quite a few to get through today because it's been a few weeks uh, since the last podcast, but the first one, a uh, stock that we know very well, which is Ordinate. Alex, Ordinate will be releasing 3.9 million shares into the market on 30 June. Can you please explain what this means and what this typically does to the share price of the companies affected? Regards, Justin. No worries. Restricted shares can come about for a number of reasons, and I think in this case, they're due to performance rights that have been issued to the management team. And these shares do not vest until a certain amount of time has passed or certain performance hurdles have been achieved. Um, But you do need to include um, restricted shares in your calculation of the company's per share value. Um, Another example of a restricted share might be when a company IPOs and the pre-IPO owners of the company have their shares tied up in an escrow arrangement for a period of time. Um, In terms of um, how they influence the company's value, um, when they're released onto the market, um, that doesn't change the company's value, but it, it can influence the supply-demand balance of shares that trade. If there's more supply of shares and the same demand, the share price can fall temporarily as there's a bit of an overhang. Um, but that's largely a short-term issue. The value of the company hasn't changed. Um, that will be worked through by the market and the company will, will carry on and investors will ultimately appraise the company based on its long-term value. So um, you might see some selling as, as these shares are sold onto the market at uh, post-June 30. Um, but if you're a long-term share, shareholder, I don't think it's something you should worry about. We certainly don't see in Australia normally the amount of share issuance to management that you do see in the US. And I think it's one thing the market just completely looks over for some of the big technology stocks in the US, just how much, how many shares get issued every year to employees. I think it was Bill Gates who said the biggest mistake he ever made at Microsoft was the amount of shares he handed out at Microsoft in the early years. Right, interesting. Uh, So next question is, hi guys, Frontier Digital Ventures is a stock you guys talked about quite a while ago. I bought some following some due diligence and discussions with my Pakistani friends and it's performed really well lately. What can you guys attribute this recent share price appreciation to? Uh, Are we starting to see the market understand it a bit better perhaps uh, regards Patrick? So there's actually a number of things uh, going on here. So the first thing I point out was I think it was Bell Potter who handled the IPO for Frontier. And it was, in my view, it was really poorly done because what Frontier needed was some very patient long-term investors. And what uh, and Bell Potter, if it was indeed Bell Potter, got, uh, got through the IPO was they handed out the shares to a whole bunch of investors that for basically got a, a real large helping and because it's such an illiquid stock have virtually just been selling the stock over the past couple of years and because the share register is so tight that's really had a dampening effect uh, on the share price so that's one thing and i think that selling now has largely largely exhausted itself Uh, and i'll also say the follow-up research um, provided uh, to has been uh, really poor if if not completely absent so i think that was an unfortunate uh, partner 
to, to do the IPO with. Uh, again, if it wasn't Bill Potter, I'm pretty sure it was, but if it was someone else, I do apologise. But um, regardless, it is what it is. Um, so it's been a really poorly supported uh, company in that sense, in terms of research. A few shares ended up in the right hands, and I think the shareholder base now has shifted somewhat. So that, that's a big part of it. But uh, and there's two other things. I think one, yes, uh, we've noticed there's a couple of uh, what I regard as decent uh, or pretty good fund managers who have uh, showed up on the share register. Small Co is one of those that uh, bought, uh, I think it was 3 million shares or something like that uh, about two months ago, three months ago. Uh, and the other one is uh, PM Capital, which is Paul, Paul Moore's uh, funds management business. Uh, they've got a pretty good track record too. And I think they understand the value that we see in this business as well. And they're a shareholder, uh, though I can't tell you how many shares they own off the top of my head. And the other thing that uh, personally I've been waiting because uh, I got my shares essentially through the IPO, which is probably over two years ago, was for the business itself to actually hit break even, which is uh, what I think a lot of fund managers find it very hard, and particularly with their mandates, which spell this out, to go to an investment committee and say, we've got this stock, we really like it, we can see a clear path to profitability, but at the moment it's actually not profitable. And, you know, it doesn't matter how much cash is in the bank to get them through. And because that's a bridge too far for an investment committee who are all just focused on risks, uh, I think that's kept a lot of fund managers away and that's starting to change. And, and the reason that's changing is because the last, I think it was probably only a couple of months ago, Frontier made an announcement and said Zamin, which is uh, its largest uh, investment or asset uh, by far, uh, had produced its first quarter of break-even, which... Uh, if you look at the history of these sorts of online classifieds businesses, once they hit break even, you generally don't get another chance to buy into the stock at that price. It's generally the stock price jumps pretty quickly by three or four times. And now, not to say that's going to happen in this case or particularly quickly, uh, but it, it is the case that once these businesses get to break even, they really don't need to spend a lot more money on the business because they've got the client base. They're the number one in the market. They've built the software product. And really, it's just adding bells and whistles from them. So you get a lot of free cash flow once these uh, companies become profitable, coming back um, you know, as free cash flow to either reinvest in the business or coming out as dividends. So that's what we've seen recently. And when Zamin produced its first quarter of break-even, it actually almost brought uh, Frontier Digital Ventures in total to break-even as well. So to me, that was the most important thing that's happened in this business's history uh, so those are the three things that have combined, I think, uh, to put some support behind the share price. And also we've launched the ethical fund of which it's a holding. So there's a, another buyer in the market. You got anything to add, Alex? Yeah, I'd really just echo those thoughts. I think small cap investors often take a wait and see approach and they wait for a company to really execute and, and show that it's following its strategy. And I think Frontier has, has shown that it's it's doing so and it's doing so really well. And I think yeah, that's attracting more investors. So so, yeah, I think there'll be more people looking at it and that's pro- probably having an influence on the price in the short term. Yeah, the one thing I'd like to see is it's been very small volume apart from uh, the placement that Frontier did to get Small Co on the register. Uh, I'd feel better about, not that I really care too much about the short-term performance, but I'd feel better about the short-term performance if it was based on a lot of volume and it hasn't been so far. I'm not really sure how Paul Moore um, got his shares. I don't know whether he was chipping away for quite a while. Um, given it's such an illiquid stock, uh, but that would be the next, uh, you know, more coverage from sell side analysts and just more volume would uh, make me feel better, uh, you know, in addition to good operating results from the business, which we'll uh, see in uh, just over a month's time.
Yeah, and I, I can confirm if, if anyone out there does a, a Google search of Zamin, we can confirm that they're not property developers, even <laughs> though the 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 um, the uh, results that you'll see first suggest that they are. Um, this is just another business that's unrelated to Zamin, so no need to get concerned there. Even though it caused you and I a bit of a heart attack earlier this week, Nate. But but yeah, it's not a, not an issue for this business. Yeah, it's actually uh, quite um, smart, I think, of the Khan brothers to open up another property business, a property development business, and borrow the Zamin name, which yeah. um, is, is well regarded in the area. I think that's pretty clever. So the next one is, hello team, what are your thoughts on Polynovo? They're expanding and have purchased the building next door to them to increase manufacturing, plus they appear to be gaining market traction with their products. They are also now in the ASX 300 with their share price steadily moving up as they are attracting investors. Kind regards, Jamie. Uh, Alex, you and I don't know anything about this stock and, and haven't had time to have a look at it. So we just thought we'd ask the question if there's anyone else listening who does know this stock well, uh, please send us in uh, an email to skin in the game at investmart.com.au uh, and we'll be happy to pass on any comments um, that we receive. Next one is, hello, I enjoy your podcast and was interested in your thoughts on uh, in Bingo Industries, uh, ASX code BIN. It took a hit at the start of the year and is well below the high of $3.27. Is the housing downturn a concern? A concern? Thanks, Greg. Got any comments, Yo. Alex? Yeah, I had a look at it post the downgrade and at the time um, the acquisition of Dialer Dump was unclear whether that would proceed. So there was a lot of uncertainty around at the time. And the reason I took a look at this business is because of the waste disposal and recycling centres. And these businesses tend to be quite good assets because nobody wants a dump in their backyard. And so it's really difficult to, to get the regulatory approvals and the locations to create a new disposal center. And that means that these businesses often, you know, if you're the best located site, close to lots of customers, um, you've got a, a cost advantage there and it can generate some healthy returns. So that was the reason I had a look at it. Um, but Bingo also does the collections. So that's, you know, the trucks and the skip bins that they use to pick up waste from construction sites. So that's a capital intensive part of the business. It's really exposed to construction activity. And that's the part of the business that's probably going to struggle in the medium term as construction activity in Australia weakens. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's part of the business that I don't like, although having an integrated model offers some benefits there. Um, overall, I'd say the business is probably not cheap now based on the, the time that I've spent on it. Um, but um, there is that component that's interesting in the, in the waste disposal part. Um, you know, who, who knows what could happen? We could see another downgrade or we could see investors, um, you know, fall out of love with this business and there could be an opportunity in the future. Um, but I'd, I'd need a really depressed price to get interested. With this sector, I would always, always only have a small holding in um, whatever company I had exposure to. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And I think one, they tend to be very capital intensive businesses. Um, you know, they have to spend a lot of money on, on finding new dumps or fees to the government or whether it's running a fleet of trucks. Uh, so there's always that issue. And I think the margins are just so thin on a lot of those pickups, particularly the government contracts. Uh, and there's also just, and I'm not implying that Bingo or any other company has done anything wrong, but there's been plenty of exposés over time that just show the dodgy behaviour in this sector. And it might be private owners or it could be, this, uh, basically there was an arbitrage shown on Four Corners last year where trucks were moving out of New South Wales and into Queensland to avoid some of the huge fees associated uh, with the dumps. And 
that sort of behaviour is, is really cloak and dagger stuff. And it just makes me feel very fearful about what I don't know in this industry when it has that sort of behaviour behind it. So for me, even if you really like CleanAway, for example, which I think is the best operator in the industry, I'd still be very careful about the portfolio sizing. Next question is, you generally don't seem to invest in IPOs. What are your concerns, comments about investing in IPOs? You can go first, Alex. Sure. Um, I'm open to investing in IPOs, although I think it is quite difficult. Um, the main factor is the inform- information asymmetry that is skewed to the seller. So they understand the business, they know when it performs well and when it doesn't, um, and they they provide all the information to the market about the business. So they can pick the best time to sell the asset and, and the buyer is at a disadvantage there. Now, my scepticism about investing in IPOs is probably heightened at the moment due to the point in the cycle that we're at. You know, we've had a long bull market. Investors generally are less discerning about new businesses than they otherwise might be at different points in the cycle. And we have seen lots of low quality businesses come onto the market. And many of them I'd call the me too businesses where, for example, you know, Afterpay is listed and then you see a, a host of copycats follow. And, and they're really trying to tap into the success that, that you know, the leading business has had. Um, and also I think... Um, People like investment bankers can almost reverse engineer success where they see what has worked and then they go out to package up something that looks similar and to try and tap into that too. So there's a lot of pitfalls there that investors need to be worried about. I think you do really want to wait for the high quality businesses that IPO and you know there's one every few years or so. So I think it's important to be mindful that you can do well in this area, but you need to be really skeptical and really discerning about which businesses you invest in. I think there are a number of uh, things you should look out for with any IPO, um, you know, regardless of whatever industry or uh, type of business it is. But anytime private equity is selling, uh, that would be a big red flag in my book. Generally, what they do is strip um, the business of cash, load it up with debt, and they don't reinvest in the business. And what they show is a, a short history of lower depreciation charges, which shows higher earnings that are only going to be temporary because uh, the new owners of the business are essentially going to have to foot the bill for the capital expenditure required to maintain the business. So to me, if you never invested in an IPO that came out of private equity hands, I expect that would keep you well in front. Also, to see what the owners of the previous owners of the businesses are doing, if it's uh, some really good insider owners that are not selling any shares and they just want the money for to grow, uh, you know, to me, that's a much more interesting proposition than the founders selling out and, and the business losing uh, the entrepreneurial spirit and the leaders behind the business. And don't uh, get sidetracked by escrow selling periods because normally they're only 12 months to two years. And we used to talk about a rule at Intelligent Investor of waiting three years before we invested in any IPOs because that's sometimes how long it takes before you see the skeletons come out of the closet. So even though it looks like the founders might be highly invested because of the escrow period, in actual fact, a business that hasn't been particularly well managed can continue on for a good one or two years at least uh, before any problems actually show up. So um, what can look like a big insider ownership uh, is actually quite small in, in, uh, in reality. I think also just you spot on, Alex, at the time, the stage of the cycle, it's much different to buying an IPO in March 2009 uh, compared to the numbers coming out today and the types of copycat businesses. So I think there's uh, all those types of things. What's the money going to be used for? Is it actually a good business in a good industry? And don't ever relax your standards. 
whatever your anal, anal, <laughs> analytic standards are uh, for the business you look at that are already listed, you should apply them to IPOs as well. And there's a, a bias out there called shiny new toy bias, which is where we tend to overpay for new ideas because we're excited about them, even though the boring ideas we've known and owned for a long time are actually better ideas. Hi, Nathan. What are your thoughts about New Hope as an investment opportunity currently? I note Soulspats is a large investor and that Rob Milner has been buying at prices higher than current. And of course, it is a stock that is politically and socially out of favour. Cheers, Steve. So I'm just copying uh, Gaurav Sodhi's, uh, the Resources Analyst Intelligent Investors uh, review here. And uh, he's got it as a, uh, a buy over an intelligent investor, but uh, please don't take that as a recommendation. You need to go and read his research to find out exactly why. But there was a few things uh, why he was actually positive on New Hope. Uh, one was obviously the share price is down, so the valuation looks attractive. I think it's the new Ackland mine that the company is looking to get approval for, and he thought if it didn't get approval, then I think the share price is around $3 now. He thought maybe it was still worth around $4, but potentially $5 if that gets approved. He also talked about coal uh, still has a home. You know, For all the environmental claims against it, there's a lot of uh, Asian mills that still need the coal, so there's a steady demand for it. And, and the fact that it's getting such a, a lot of opposition, there's unlikely to be any new supply or large new mines. Uh, that get approved. So in a sense, that keeps a lid on supply, which keeps prices high. Uh, and I was actually, um, and, and again, I have no history with New Hope, but it was very impressive to see what management had done in the past in terms of a couple of uh, coal mines that they'd bought at, uh, at, at cents in the dollar uh, and rode the, the recovery out of those assets and turned them into multi-billion dollar um, assets. Uh, I thought that was really impressive. So it sounds like you've got excellent management running this business as well. So um, you're absolutely right. It's, it's not going to be in our ethical fund. Uh, but if you, if you do like uh, what what's hated, um, then New Hope is definitely worth having a look at. Next one. Hi, guys. Interested to get your thoughts on Grange Resources, uh, ASX code GRR in the medium to long term, with a super low PE of under three earnings growth and a dividend around the 8% mark on the surface, it looks like a good time to buy based on value. However, with the surge in iron ore prices over the past six months, they've warned of a slow next two quarters and both shipments and share price growth are lower than competitors. Uh, it mentions Fortescue. This coupled with a property play in Melbourne makes me wonder if I should be worried. They're not making hay while the sun shines and if management are well aligned with shareholders. Loving the content from the podcast and any thoughts are appreciated. Thanks, Sam. I think that, that one's for you, Alex. Sure. Um, just a few general comments, really, about the use of PEs. So you have to be careful with a cyclical business like Grange in, in terms of using the PE ratio as your valuation metric because earnings will be up and down. And I understand that Grange is a, is a high-cost co miner. So when iron ore prices are really high, they'll make good money. But when iron ore prices fall, they might make a small amount of money or they might even lose money. It's, they're not like BHP and Rio that have really large, low-cost operations where they can print money through the cycle at almost any iron ore price. So, so you want to be careful about that, and you probably want to think in DCF terms rather than PE terms. Um, I, I don't have anything to say about the business itself. It's not really in my space, um, but just be careful about those valuation metrics. Um, and, and, yeah, I encourage you to think for the long term and think how Grange is placed in that. Okay, the next question is from Mark. The AGL move on Vocus, is this genius or stupidity? Is there value in Vocus at $3 per share or does several suitors walking away 
imply that there are not only skeletons in the closet, but bodies as well. Yeah, it's interesting. We've seen this this play out in a number of ways recently where a business has a large customer base and they look to monetize that in several ways. So Kogan springs to mind, you know, they're offering everything under the sun, tapping into their existing customer base. We've seen Amasim do something similar where they had a telco business and now they've moved into energy. Um, so it's not it's not something that's new. Um, it is new to have someone actually, instead of just offering an MVNO service where they leverage someone else's network, um, to see them actually seek to buy the own network itself. Um, I, I actually met with Hanson yesterday and, and they talked about this thematic playing out throughout the world where um, there's this convergence between energy and, and telecommunications. So it's something that is is, is happening on a global scale. Um, you know, whether Vocus is the right asset for AGL to pursue, there's question marks around that. There have been many um, suitors that have looked at the business and um, many of them, or in fact, all of them have walked away. And so, you know, the question is, is there some sort of cultural issue or accounting issue or just even business or business model issue that is there that isn't um, immediately obvious to the market? So I think... Um, I think this the strategy of leveraging the customer base is something we're going to see more of. Um, I'm not sure if it necessarily leads to greater returns for the business, but I think we'll see many more people try it. I thought it was a giant red flag when the CEO of AGL said he really knew nothing about telecommunications and the focus business, but he was looking to buy it anyway. And the last time I heard that sort of talk was, uh, I can't remember, was it John Fletcher who uh, used to run Coles? And when he took over the CEO role, he boasted how he'd never been into a supermarket in the last 10 years or something. Wow. <laughs> to me, you know, just looking from the outside, and, and I'm no expert on, on AGL or Focus, but just it just didn't pass the smell test, even just by looking at the few details I read in the paper. It was a, a move on a company that's in basically seems like it's in disarray. Uh, some of its businesses are very valuable, but other parts of it are very low margin and under a great deal of pressure. And mm. AGL's got earnings holes of its own, and this just looked like a potentially, you know, I'd say easy in quotation marks way to try and show that you're trying to plug that gap. Um, but when, whenever a company goes off and buys something that's out of their circle of competence, and they start talking about how they don't even know the business well, and you're in the tenth year of a bull market uh, where money is very cheap and easy, uh, to me that just doesn't pass the sniff test. So. Uh, I would have thought that was more stupidity um, than genius on AGL's behalf. And I think AGL shareholders will be very happy they haven't bought it. Uh, and I think that was reflected in the increase in the share price after the deal fell over. Yeah, it, it's interesting. You, it makes you wonder whether if they truly think that that's the, good, the right strategy to take, why don't they just offer MVNO services and just utilize someone else's network, you know, build that customer base, add in a revenue stream and do so without deploying a huge amount of capital and taking a lot of risk. And that always gives the opportunity to then buy a network at some point in the future once you've proved you can be successful doing so. So, yeah, I uh, agree with your comments, Nate. It does seem really risky. Isn't it funny, though, that you can think of alternatives and yet it's amazing how captivated CEOs can become about an acquisition it just gives everyone so much interesting work to do mm. and it sounds exciting and it pleases shareholders in the short term and, uh, and yet it could be completely the most disastrous thing that uh, they could do management could do and which is why 70 or 80 percent of acquisitions fail next question is stocks that have been sold during the year seem to attract attention with respect to tax loss selling targets thereby causing share prices to fall further 
do you suggest using tax loss selling season to opportunistically purchase? And if so, where have you been looking? You first, Alex. Yeah, I'm not necessarily sure I suggest it, but I think it is a strategy where you can make um, short-term profits, I guess. Um, I think you'd only want to do so in a business that you are happy to hold for the long term, so it should really supplement what you're already trying to do. Um, where do you find them? Well, if I look at my portfolio, any of my you know, quote-unquote value stocks, um, they're all experiencing tax loss selling. Um, Thorn Group springs to mind. That's one. Um, personally, I've been wrong on this for a long time. Um, and the business has sold off heavily and it, it looks like it's tax loss selling that's influencing some of the recent price fall. Um, the business looks cheap to me, um, although I've, as I said, I've been wrong on this for a long time. Um, but that, that's one name that springs to mind. You know, basically any stock that um, is a so-called value stock would be a good place to start. You can use software tools to screen for such things um, and yeah, that will produce a good list that you can peruse through. Yeah, unfortunately, I know too too many names. Um, I'll list a few of them uh, in the fund that uh, that are down over the past year. Uh, Unibail of Redamco has been a, a big intelligent investor recommendation. There's a dividend yield distribution yield of over seven percent, and trades at a massive discount to net tangible assets. Uh, European exposure, and, and as most people probably know, uh, bought uh, the prime assets of Westfield uh, twelve months ago. Uh, that one's down, I'm not sure exactly, but 20% um, since we bought it. Uh, so that's potentially one for the yield hunters. A company that, I mean, any company that has a decent um, profit downgrade recently has just been absolutely smashed where the share price has fallen far further than the profit downgrade has um, implied. Um, that's not for every stock, but by some of them. But one I think got hit particularly hard, which I own, which is Reliance Worldwide. It came out with a, when I say a messy profit downgrade, it was part of it was expected, but there was a lot of other parts uh, about it. It was just very complicated. There was half a dozen reasons that they laid out for what was actually a fairly small profit downgrade, but I think because people were so excited about the future growth of this business, uh, what it does is supplies uh, plumbing, the back of the wall plumbing uh, in a much more efficient way compared to the old days where you actually had to saw off uh, the old brass tubing and, and solder it back on. Uh, what they have is essentially what they call push to connect. So it saves plumbers. They can do the stuff in sort of a third of the time to replace it with their push to connect, uh, which could be actually um, brass or plastic, depending on which country you're in. Uh, so it's a real time saver. So it's really valuable for plumbers to use this, but it's only used about 10 to 12% uh, of the time. And for the other nearly 90%, they use a traditional method. So this should be a real growth business for a long time to come. And I don't think that's um, that's changed, but the share price is down 30-odd percent, um, or actually probably more than that. It's actually down um, on probably 40 or 45% from its highs. So I think it got to over $6 a share at one point. Um, so to me, that would be a, a I think it is a quality business. It's not the absolute best business, but it's far better than average. And that's one that's been hit very hard. And and Mm -hmm. another one, uh, which I'll just highlight, um, people probably have enough bank exposure in Australia, but um, Clydesdale Bank is is also the worst um, stock that I've bought uh, since I've returned. Uh, It's down about a third um, at our average share price, but it's um, currently trading around $3.50, and I think it might have been over $6 um, at its height. Um, but it's trading around 0.6 times book value. The company's just laid out its three-year plan. 
and I'll actually be interviewing the CEO tomorrow. So uh, have a listen to um, if you're interested in more banks, <laughs> which most probably probably aren't. Um, but I think this business on the forecast the company's made will be trading at around a 9% dividend yield in three years' time. So if management gets anywhere near its forecast, then um, it's very, very cheap. Um, but it could be a painful ride given Brexit. Um, maybe there's a recession over the next few years. Who knows? All the regular risks uh, to owning a bank apply. But, um, but we'll have that interview up hopefully at the end of tomorrow um, or on Friday. Sounds good. I, I would add, um, if the listener is really interested in tax loss or exploiting tax loss selling in particular, the best place would be small cap stocks, just because the reason it pops up is because the selling pressure overwhelms the buying pressure and for an illiquid stock that can really accentuate the price movement. So small cap stocks can swing about enormously leading up to June 30. So yeah, um, yeah. if you want to really exploit that, look for smaller companies. Good point, Alex. Uh Given it's been a few weeks, we'll uh, answer a few uh, questions about companies we've been holding back for a little bit because we haven't had time. But one is uh, ACF or Formwork. The price has gone up a bit since I started to look at it. It makes hires uh, out of scaffolding. Um, some well-known uh, fund manager names on the register. Got any comments on Formwork, Alex? Yeah, um, I used to have an interest in Global Construction Services, which is now known as SRG Global, which also has a scaffolding business. So I, I did have a quick look at it. I remember GCS actually was offered to buy the business and they declined uh, for various reasons. And so that's always been in the back of my mind. Um, to me, this is just a small, low quality business. Um, I struggle to see the roadmap of where this will be in 10 years time and, and how it will add a lot of value. So it's not one that's hugely interesting to me. Um, but I guess for the cigar butt and value investors out there, they're looking to buy a cheap stock. And perhaps if there's you know more infrastructure work and if the um, residential market picks up, this business might do a bit better. Um, but again, I'm not, this is not really my space. I'm not trying to buy low quality businesses like this that look marginally cheap. Yeah, I think the um, for people who know this stock, the, the well-known bull case is that there's going to be an infrastructure boom on the east coast of Australia. Uh, as the government tries to plug the economic growth hole left by housing, even though the current government seems to be trying to wring every last drop out of, out of squeezing that lemon. Um, but it hasn't really happened yet. Uh, it's actually um, probably another couple of years before we see some sort of peak or maybe longer, and or maybe the, the big infrastructure boom is actually just off the mark and won't be anywhere near as big as what anyone expects. The next stock is Gale Pacific, a very small business. It's been buying back shares and it appears statistically cheap. Uh, I had a look at this several years ago. Uh, it makes uh, like shade um, for outdoor patios. Uh, and I believe the fabrics uh, does a few cool things. Uh, but sometimes I wonder whether some stocks or some businesses um, should be listed. It's just so small. And I don't know whether it's had any, I know it was talking about having some overseas growth. Uh, at one point, I don't know whether that's actually happened, but some stocks are just uh, not meant to be listed in my view, and I think this is one of them. Have you had a look at Gale Pacific, Alex? I have. Um, to me, it just looks like a commodity business. I struggle to see how it's going to do well. Um, I, I was actually looking at some research yesterday, though, and it went back to 1926, and it looked at where the returns for the index came from. And basically, the entire performance for the index came from 4% of the companies. And so the vast majority of the companies contributed nothing to the index's return. And to me, that suggests you need to seek out the exceptional businesses, either exceptional quality or exceptional value. 
um, in order to um, perform well in the stock market. And, and for me, Gale Pacific is just not an exceptional business and has no prospect of being an exceptional business. So, you know, it's going to compete with foreign competitors. Um, it's always going to be competing on price. I, I just struggle to see why you'd even want to spend time on a business like this. Yeah, I think with some businesses too, if they start blaming currency impacts on a regular basis, uh, if that's a really big swing in your earnings, then it doesn't say much about the rest of the business, I don't think. Mm. Last one, safe roads holding statistically cheap based on enterprise value to EBITDA multiple. Uh, any comments, Alex? No, I've, I haven't spent any time on it. I, I've, I've seen it in screens. I've had a brief look at the broad metrics. It's just never appealed, so nothing to add there, sorry. All right, so we're finishing on a somber note. Uh, no value <laughs> in, a, in a couple of uh, weak or low-quality names. Uh, thanks again, everyone, for your patience uh, for the past few weeks, and we'll be back, should be back to a more regular basis from here on. Uh, thank you, Alex, and as always, if you've got any questions, send them into Skin in the Game at investmart.com.au, and we'll, you will hear from us next week. Thanks, Alex. To learn more about the income, growth, and small companies funds, head over to investmart.com.au. Relevant disclosure documents should be read before making any investment decisions. And if you have any questions you'd like answered by our team, send us an email at skininthegame at investmart.com.au.